0: We are continuing our slow stroll through Psalm 23, and last week we looked at Psalm 23, verse 4a, the first half of verse 4, and uh, this morning we are going to look at Psalm 23, verse 4b, the the second half of the verse, uh, wherein David says that the Lord's rod and his staff comfort him. And uh, we'll go ahead and read the the whole Psalm. If uh, you would take out your copy of Scripture and turn to Psalm 23. And again, we are looking at verse 4b. So take notice particularly of what David says there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for your word and that it it gives us comfort and not just some general vague sense of comfort, but but it gives us particular comfort because of your particular promises and the particular truths revealed therein. Would you cause our minds to assent to those promises and truths and our hearts to trust them and to thus receive the true and enduring comfort that you alone give. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, you you may remember uh, several months ago, I I shared a story about a a Scottish minister, uh, John Patton. He was an elder Presbyterian minister in Scotland and uh, began to to sense a call uh, to be sent as a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Seas. The only problem with this was that uh, his elders and, and many in his church didn't actually want him to go, uh, and they sought to talk him out of, go- out of going. And, and one of the many reasons that they gave, one, one was that uh, there were uh, many who were recently killed and eaten, uh, who were missionaries, who were killed and eaten uh, while in these islands the New Hebrides by the very people that they were seeking to reach with the gospel. Well, Patton prevailed upon them, and, and he was indeed sent to the islands, and it was uh, as dangerous, uh, if not more dangerous, as the uh, elders in his church had said. Um, I've, I've been reading his biography a little in the last week, and, uh, and some of the stories shared were, were startling. Uh, in addition to uh, the many struggles uh, for missionaries in those days, like illness, uh, the death of loved ones, including that of his 19-year-old wife and uh, his baby boy three weeks after. In addition to, to all of that, Patton saw many other dangers. He faced many threats. He experienced many sorrows. He lived in a, in a kind of perpetual valley of the shadow of death during his time there. Uh, in fact, on, on the very night that he arrived, while they were building their home, news came uh, that uh, half a dozen people had been killed uh, in a battle just less than a mile away from where they were building their new home and their bodies were cooked and eaten that very evening. Moreover, these these tribes people, they, they hated Patton and they hated uh, others uh, who were with him. Uh, in fact, one day they were having a, some dialogue with one of the tribes and their chief plainly told Patton, quote-unquote, he says, "...our fathers loved and worshipped whom you call the devil, the evil spirit." And we are determined to do the same. Now our people are determined to kill you if you do not leave this land. And, of course, we would do well to recognize that, that these were not idle threats. Another item included in, in the book is the story of his friends, George and Ellen Gordon, who were missionaries on the island with them. And in 1861, the natives hacked the two to death with axes. Another, uh, another uh, years earlier, John Williams Uh, He was clubbed to death and eaten immediately upon his arrival on the island. And there were were many other such occasions as as these, and and there were many uh, close brushes with occasions like these for Patton himself. Uh, There were many nights where Patton and those with him received word of death threats and wherein death knocked on their door, where their homes were surrounded by groups of men armed to the teeth, ready to kill. There were many nights when their homes were, were broken into, and they only escaped, uh, barely escaped with their lives. But listen to this. This is, this is one of the things that stood out to me as I've been reading his, his biography. And On one such night, when their, their murderous neighbors were outside their doors, surrounding their home, ready to kill, yelling threats, Patton, said about those very moments, he said that calmness, peace, and resignation abode in my soul. Calmness and peace and resignation abode in my soul. And of course, as as I read that, I'm, I'm asking myself, how does one say such a thing when facing a potentially painful and horrific death? Well, now we're obviously not living in a, in a time as, as uh, dangerous as patents and in a place as dangerous as patents, but we have our own uh, dark valleys. We have our own plights and pains. We have our own difficulties and dangers. We have our own fears and anxieties uh, concerning our lives and the, the circumstances we face. Right now, our, our city, our state, our nation, really the entire globe is in, in the midst of a, a, a sort of dark valley. We're in the middle of the, the valley of the shadow of death. There's a pandemic threatening the health and, and, uh, and deaths of, of many. Uh, we're facing a, a potential economic crisis. Uh, we're facing anxieties and fears concerning our, our futures, our incomes, our loved ones. And that's on top of the already present troubles and trials that we were already facing before all of this began. And as we saw last week, the author of our psalm this morning was no stranger to such valleys. You know, he walked through many of the same difficulties that we walk through. Uh, he, he was a human being, and so he faced battles and lost loved ones. He felt the betrayal of close friends and the neglect of his family. Uh, he faced persecution and slander. He dealt with illness and poverty. And yet when walking through these these dark valleys, he, like Patton, he experienced something that all of God's children have the benefit and right by divine grace to experience. He experienced comfort. He experienced comfort. And so a a, a major question that that we want to answer this morning is this, what was his comfort? What was his comfort in such valleys? What was his comfort when the temptation to give way to fear was so strong? And, and how can we experience this comfort as well? Well, first, we, we see here in verse 4, David talk about the Lord's care. He, said, he talks about his care. In the latter half of verse 4, David says to the Lord in prayer, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff. The Lord's rod and the Lord's staff seem to be the, the source of David's comfort. Now, now, what does that mean? Uh, it, of course, in, in keeping with this kind of shepherd metaphor, David speaks of the Lord having a rod and a staff. These were the, the kind of tools of the trade for shepherds in that day. You know, a bricklayer has his trowel and a, uh, an accountant has his Excel spreadsheets and a shepherd has his rod and his staff. And of course, those who aren't familiar with you know, ancient animal husbandry, uh, we might need to explore this metaphor a bit more to, to understand what David means here. Uh, and now when David speaks of a rod, he's talking about a, a kind of weapon. It was a, a two-foot kind of uh, club, like a, a small baseball bat or a, or a mace. Uh, and it's made of, of dense wood. And in fact, it was a, a weapon lethal enough that in, in Exodus 21, 20, the Lord provides instruction for what uh, Israel was supposed to do when someone killed their neighbor by striking them with a rod. Uh, and of course, a shepherd would be likely to face uh, many dangers when out uh, traveling with a sheep and watching over his sheep. It might be needed in, in the threat of uh, predators or even thieves. A staff, on the other hand, is a, is a kind of a longer, thinner piece of wood that would uh, assist a shepherd as a kind of support while walking. Uh, and of course, these kinds of staffs were very common uh, in that day. Many used staffs when, when traveling, uh, especially uh, when they were walking long distances. Many would have stabs. But then a, a shepherd's staff was a little bit different in that it, it, had, it not only provided uh, support while walking, but it was also a tool to care for sheep. It had a kind of long crook. Uh, On the end of it, Uh, and it it was used to uh, maybe grab sheep around their neck or their belly, and to get them out of of a ditch or uh, to rescue them from kind of wandering off a path. Uh, It was a a shepherd's tool, and so to to kind of sum it up, a staff, the the a rod and a staff, they were used uh, by a shepherd as tools to care for their sheep. Uh, They were used as tools for shepherds to tend to their sheep and to defend their sheep from danger. And this is what David David is speaking of here. He's he's speaking of the Lord's care for him even while he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. Now keep in mind that we're still in the valley here. We're still in verse 4. We're still in the valley. And yet while in the valley, David speaks of the Lord's rod and the Lord's staff as a comfort to him. Now, maybe to get a little more particular how what David might be meaning by this metaphor here, uh, how a rod and a staff might be a picture of the lord 's care for us, a little more specifically, uh, first, we see uh, that for, for one, the, the lord 's rod and his staff speaks to his attention to his sheep, it speaks to to his attention. Um, the, the Lord pays particular attention. To his sheep, so one of the uses of a of a rod or a staff, they were both used for this, was that a shepherd would use it to count their sheep Uh, at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, or uh, maybe when settling down after a long uh, long journey, potentially a dangerous journey. A shepherd would use his rod or his staff uh, to count each of the sheep. He would kind of tap each one on the back when counting with his rod or his staff to make sure that they were all present. And accounted for. Uh, furthermore, uh, uh, a shepherd would use his rod to uh, sort of examine his sheep to make sure they were in good health, to make sure that they were uh, their skin was was healthy. They weren't. Uh, suffering from disease or struggling with parasites. And they would do this by, by kind of running their rod over the the wool of the sheep. And they would kind of go against the grain of the sheep's wool so that they could get a good look at their skin underneath. They called it passing under the rod. Well, the rod and the staff, they were tools used to keep close watch, to examine the sheep, to, to pay attention to the sheep. Well, Likewise, David is saying that the Lord's close attention to his sheep is a comfort to him when walking through the valley. Of course, due, you know, for us, due to the, the vastness of creation and due to the, the, uh, the many problems facing the world, due to our own smallness and insignificance and, and sin, we might be tempted with, with the psalmist to cry out similarly to him and say, Who am I that you're mindful of me, Lord? But David is saying here that the Lord does indeed pay particular attention to sheep. He is watching over you. He is paying attention to you. You have his undivided attention if you are in Christ. Jesus actually says as much when, uh, when, in Luke 12, 7. We, we may sometimes feel like the Lord has lost our address, that he's lost track of us. But, but he says in Luke 12, 7 that even the hairs of your head are all numbered. In Matthew 10, 29, Jesus says that not a a sparrow falls to the ground apart from your heavenly father. But then he says, fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Indeed, as we quoted earlier in the series, Michael Reeves once said that the Lord is too great. He's too great to overlook you today. He is paying particular attention to you. You have his undivided attention and nothing can redirect his gaze. He's promised in his son to pay close attention to you, Christian. In him, the shepherd is more attentive to your welfare and your good, and he's more concerned about it than even you are. His rod and his staff will see to it. In this way, they are a sure comfort. But then, not only attention, but, but correction. His rod and his staff, they speak to the reality that, that God gives his sheep correction time sheep may wander off and disobey they, they they may drink from polluted waters or refuse to move out of fear may freeze in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death out of fear to move on and so a shepherd may prod his sheep along this rod or his staff and if this behavior continues, as discipline may even become more severe. Uh, at times, if, if sheep are, are particularly stubborn and disobedient, shepherds have been known to, to break the legs of their sheep and then carry them on, on, on journeys so that they learn to stay near to their shepherd. And this is an especially important gift in walking through the valleys because it's so often there that these temptations to stray or to freeze in fear are particularly strong. Well, in the same way, when, when we as God's sheep, when we walk in disobedience to Him, He corrects us by pushing us and prodding us through timely encounters with His Word or, or through the conviction of the Spirit or through rebukes from fellow Christians. And when we continue to persist in a, in a state of unrepentance, His discipline may become even more severe. For example, we see this in in maybe Paul's letter to the Corinthians. At one point in time, the the, the church in Corinth, there were were actually several of their members struggling with illness, and some had had even died as a result of the Lord's discipline. Another example of this actually comes from the life of the author of this psalm himself. Uh, When when David had, had sexually violated Bathsheba and had her husband killed in secrecy, And then just continued on like nothing had ever happened. The Lord sent discipline and correction to him. The prophet Nathan came heralding the word of the Lord, calling him to repent. And then after that, there were consequences for David's sin. And David was disciplined. The sword, the Lord said, would never depart from his house. Several of his children died. Others rebelled. His family fell apart. And yet you can see in the stories that it was partly due to this limp caused by the Lord's discipline that David walked in dependence upon his shepherd for the rest of his life. And likewise, the Lord sends discipline and correction and chastisement into our lives in order to keep us from the dangers, the greater dangers of sin and hell. he will sometimes give us temporary pain to keep us from the eternal pain of hell of the lake of fire. And it comes from his, this deep care and love for us as a sheep. So The writer of the epistle to the Hebrews says, he, he writes us in, in Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. I'll read the whole thing. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For when they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Indeed, David knew this full well. He he knew the pain of God's correction, but it was a comfort to him. Because he was trained by it, and it yielded the the peaceful fruit of righteousness in his life, and it it yielded the the fruit of eternal life. Because of this, the Lord's rod and staff were a comfort to him. But then not only the Lord's attention and correction, his rod and the staff also speak to the Lord's protection. As we discussed last week, the, the valley is a dangerous place. There are many dangers and difficulties And the threat of of predators is is particularly pertinent there. It's a vulnerable place for sheep. There's many shadows. There's large rocks. And in these shadows and behind these rocks can hide predators, bears, and lions who might simply be waiting for an innocent, defenseless sheep to wander by. David knew this threat full well, but he also knew what a gift to the sheep the protection of a, a skillful shepherd was. He speaks to, to King Saul in 1 Samuel seventeen thirty four, and he says, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. David's saying, I, I used to watch my father's sheep. And when there came a lion or a bear or took, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him probably with his rod and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. And likewise, the Lord's rod and his staff speak of his protection of his covenant lambs not from lions and bears, but from our most dangerous enemies, the the world, the flesh, and the devil. And of course, by by the world, we don't mean the earth or the people in it. We we mean this this kind of system of evil which seeks to entice God's people into living for carnal and temporal things. By the flesh, we don't mean our our skin or our bodies. We mean what the New Testament often means when it uses the, the phrase the flesh. It's talking about our sinful nature still present within us. And by the devil, we mean Satan and demons, those evil, invisible, spiritual beings which want to bring harm and ruin to God's people. These are our most dangerous enemies. We, we, we might be tempted to think that our most dangerous enemies are obstacles in life or, or sickness or illness or governing authorities or interruptions to economic, economic prosperity or the like, but these are not our true enemies, God has told us what our true enemies are, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's from these that He promises to protect us. He sent His Son to die and to rise to accomplish victory over Satan and demons. He he died and rose to take the penalty for our sins and thus empower us to change, thus removing sin's guilt and power over us. And He's given us His Spirit to empower us to withstand the world's enticements and temptations. He protects us from our enemies. His rod and his staff speak to his protection of us as his covenant lambs. The Lord's attention, correction, protection are are three elements of the Lord's care for us that we see here in David's metaphor. His rod and his staff represent his divine shepherding care for us as his sheep. And, And this, this, David says, is the source of my comfort. And this is the source of our comfort as well. Look with me next at our comfort. We've seen his care. Now we see our comfort. David says, they comfort me. And now this, this word comfort, it's, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting word. Like many Hebrew words, it not only communicates an, an idea like comfort, but it actually gives a sort of concrete picture to go along with it. And this is the picture that this word gives us. <sighs> that's, that's what the word means. It, it means to exhale or to, to sigh, a sigh of relief. You know, what do you do when you face a potentially dangerous situation when someone cuts you off in traffic and you almost get in a car accident? That's scary. And then when you escape unscathed, what do you do? Or, or when you have a, a particularly hard day with, with difficult circumstances and you finally come to this long day that you've had and you lay down in bed at night, what do you do? You 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 exhale you sigh a sigh of relief. You see, David is saying, when I, when I look around me and all I see is danger, when I see the predators, when I see my enemies, when I see my own sinful inclinations, when I see the temptations that, are bound, that abound, when I'm tempted to give way to fear and anxiety, I look to my shepherd, I see his rod on his belt and his staff in his hand, and I'm reminded of his attention, of his correction, of his, of his protection, and I, I'm comforted, I'm relieved. I'm at ease, though the world is in turmoil around me and my soul. I'm relieved and at ease and comforted. Don't you see? This, this is David's comfort. When, when walking through hardship, the Lord's shepherding cares, the comfort of his people. And that's our big idea for this morning. When, when walking through hardship and difficulty and danger, the Lord's shepherding care. It's the comfort of his people. It's the comfort that we experience when we walk through death's dark valley. We can sigh a sigh of relief because he is near and he is for us. And where is there greater proof of this? And in the cross of Christ, in the cross of Christ, God shows his particular love and care and attention for us because it's there where he particularly purchases us to particularly forgive our sin and to empower us to walk in the Lord's grace. Because it's there where, where, where he, he, he shows his divine hatred for sin and we're thus corrected and we're set on the, the course of righteous paths. It's there where we see his protection and that it's there where he defeats sin and Satan and death for us. If you doubt his, his care the least little bit, only look at the cross and be assured, he loves you as his own little lamb, Christian, and he is utterly for you, even in the valley. And for John Patton, this made all the difference as well. As we saw earlier, the, the threats he faced were many. There was persecution and loss of loved ones and sword and danger and the nearness of death. And yet, in the midst of all this, he was a man of unwavering courage and comfort even in the midst of this valley because of the God he called shepherd. At one point, he describes a night of danger that he faced, and it's the one I referenced earlier concerning his comfort, but I didn't read the whole thing. Listen to what he says of it. He says, I knew not for one brief hour when or how the attack might be made. And yet, with my trembling hand clasped in the hand once nailed to Calvary and now swaying the scepter of the universe. Calmness and peace and resignation abode in my soul. Indeed, he knew what it was to face trouble and danger, but he knew what it was to be comforted. And he knew what it was to be comforted because he knew the care of the hand once nailed to the cross and now swaying the scepter of the universe, his soul sighed a sigh of relief because of his Lord's rod and staff. And my friends, I I want you, I want us, I want our church to know of this comfort. I want us to taste and see and experience this comfort as well. And so we would do well to ask ourselves how, how we might appropriate this truth to our lives, especially in these troubling and trying times that we're in. And so in closing, I have three exhortations for you. And first, I would exhort you to be mindful of what it is you're actually relying on for comfort. You know, the, the reality is the Lord is the comfort. The Lord's care is the comfort of His people, but we often look elsewhere, don't we? Something that often keeps us from experiencing the Lord's true comfort of His presence and care is that we often rely on lesser and temporal things for comfort instead. Instead of of finding comfort in God's presence and care, we seek for it in the distraction of of TV and attention from others on social media and constantly being in the know about current events or in our performance at work or in the savings we have in the bank or or what have you. There's many other things that we might look to for, for comfort. And there may not even be anything particularly wrong with many of these things if that's where we're taking refuge and looking for comfort, seeking comfort in the midst of this valley, our fears and anxieties are bound to prevail. They are, as Job called his friends, miserable comforters. Because those things are unreliable and fickle and can sometimes be sources of increased anxiety and fear instead of the comfort we're actually looking for. And so discern, discern what you're relying on for comfort and redirect. If it's something other than the Lord as your shepherd, redirect your, the eyes of your heart to your Lord and your shepherd. Second, I would exhort you to, to entrust your future to the shepherd. Entrust your future to the shepherd. As, as Ed Welch once said, fear and anxiety make a prediction. They both live in the future. And he's right most often the, the, the very things we're so afraid of and anxious about are those things that may or may not happen in the future. We're afraid that we or a family member might be sick in the future. We're we're afraid that we might lose our jobs in the future. We're afraid that we might experience a great depression in the U.S. again in the future. We're afraid that governing authorities might turn tyrannical in the future, or that this pandemic might make some of these hard changes permanent in the future and the like. Some of those things might even be legitimate concerns and legitimate fears, and yet the reality is That while you don't know what your future holds, your God and your shepherd, who is more devoted to your good than even you are, does. And he's in control of your future. And and not only that, but he has a better future planned for you as his sheep than anything you could even imagine. Even in all the difficult things planned in your future. They are contributing to your ultimate good and are setting you on the path to the greenest pastures and the stillest, most refreshing waters in the new heavens the new earth when Christ returns. Your future is incredibly bright and so you can entrust it to your shepherd. It belongs to your shepherd. Entrust your future to him and be comforted. Third, for every look at your valley, take 10 looks at your shepherd. While walking through this, this dark valley, the temptation to, to almost, is, is almost constant to, to look around us and be overcome by what we see. The temptation is almost constant to see the valley as being more significant than the shepherd who walks with us. And this is especially the case when we're always plugged in. When checking the news on our phones every hour, watching the update at two, checking the news before bed at night, when we're reading every form and every article on COVID-19, spending hours every day setting our eyes on all the things that are going on around us. And, and, and of course, it's good to stay informed. Yet when we do this, we can tend to be a little like those sheep who when they're walking through the valley, look up and see the valley walls and see the shadows they cast and all the potential hiding place, places for predators pays attention to the clouds, seeing if it might rain, and all the rest of it. All the while remembering what is fearful at the expense of remembering what is comforting, namely, the shepherd who is close by with his rod and his staff. And so I'd encourage you, don't neglect daily Reading the scriptures, don't neglect the daily practice of prayer. Don't neglect those little moments throughout the day where you remember your God and your creator and you shoot a little arrow prayer, setting the eyes of your heart on him, resetting again. Every day, take every opportunity to turn the eyes of your heart to your shepherd. See his rod on his belt and his staff in his hand. Remember and know for certain that he is fully committed to give you his undivided attention and his perfect shepherding care. And if you look to him, my friend, you will find comfort. You will breathe a sigh of relief, peace and calm, and resignation will abode in your soul, even in the midst of the valley. Let's pray together. Our good and great shepherd, we look to you now. We set the eyes of our hearts on you now. And we ask that you would comfort us with your rod and your staff, with your care and your companionship. Lord, don't don't let these just be words coming out of my mouth, but let them be realities written on our hearts so that we might know that calm and peace and resignation that Patton talked about and that comfort that David talks about. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.